How's it going, guys? Welcome to the Serious Angler Podcast. For those that are new to the show, the Serious Angler Podcast was created to highlight the dedicated and passionate anglers in our fishing community uh, to try and provide a platform for them to tell their story of you know how they got into fishing and where it's brought them to today. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. Um, you can watch it on YouTube at the Ikebra Outdoors channel. Uh, if you're not already, you can watch over there, or you can access the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Anchor app, the Angler app, uh, and many more different podcast applications. Appreciate you guys listening, and enjoy the episode. All right, welcome back to Serious Angler Podcast. Today we have a pretty cool show for you guys. We're having on a, another podcaster, uh, one whose, whose show is pretty much the staple of all bass fishing or fishing podcasts. And if you guys haven't heard of this podcast, you're definitely living under a rock. Um, and it is Bass Talk Live. We're having on Mr. Matt Pangrek. Uh, bass Talk Live has been a, pretty much been the reason why I have deleted my Spotify account. I no longer really listen to music that much because I am constantly listening to these guys' podcasts. Him and Mark Jeffries do an amazing job of having different anglers on. Um, and from different facets of the industry, whether they're, they're working in the industry, they are term directors, officials, anglers, to talk about different topics in, in the industry right now, but also talk to different anglers about their experiences and, and different random questions and products. It's If you haven't heard about it, you guys need to go check it out because Bass Talk Live is a great resource for any angler trying to learn about anything. And it's cool because you really dive into these anglers that we, we listen to, we watch on TV, on live streams and whose YouTube page we watch, you get to see kind of their personalities come out a little bit more, which is pretty awesome, which is very enjoyable, and you learn a lot. They, they drop some tips and things there where you can learn a little bit more about fishing and apply it to your skill set. So that's why I love it. And uh, Matt is uh, an angler himself, very good angler, very talented angler. So we're going to get on here talk about his roots, talk about how the, the podcast started, and uh, we're, we're just going to see where it goes. I mean, it's going to be a fun time talking to Matt, so... Hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get into today's show, I want to remind you guys about the giveaway we are running that is going to be announced on episode number 100. Head over there and uh, you can head over to our Instagram page to enter to win three different prize packs from Angler, Douglas Outdoors, and Queen Tackle. Uh, way to win some free stuff, so head over there and check it out. Uh, as well as make sure you guys have, if you have an Angler app, an Angler Bullseye, accept the Sears Angler Podcast Challenge. Go and catch and log 30 fish in three weeks for a chance to get on the show to talk to me. Like I said, I want to get you on here so I can interrogate you. No, I'm just kidding. But I want to get you guys on here to talk about anything. I would love to see someone who took them took it upon themselves to enter the challenge and come on the show. I would love to talk to you guys. Um, so without further ado, Mr. Matt Pangrick. You can't see me? I can't. It just says the serious angler. Okay. It says webcams working. This is weird. Let's see. What about now? Can you hear me? See me now? Nope. Yep, I got you. You, you got, got me? I got you. Yeah, we're good to go then. I won't touch the mouse or anything now. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah, so like we were saying, I'm headed to Port Charlotte. So I have grandparents down there. And uh, figures, timing-wise, my brother and I are going to head down because we haven't seen them in years. Yeah. And we figured right now with the way everything is and travel being so cheap, we're going to head down to, to visit them. And then we've never actually, like, fished hard when we're down there. We always, like, fish a little bit. 
and then just really to see them. But we're going down with the intent of staying with them so we can see them, but also fishing hard every day for like cool. snow carping, doing a little bit of bass here and there. And uh, so we're pretty excited about that. But New York, I don't know if you saw it, just came out today, said uh, if anybody from the certain states, Florida being one of them, that has uh, escalating cases, yep. that if you come back to New York, you have to quarantine for two weeks. So it's it's kind of like an iffy thing. We're not going to be around anybody but family, but we're like, this is the worst timing for them to come out yeah. of this. Yeah, it'll be crazy to see what they end up doing with the Elite Series and all that stuff because there's a bunch of people affected with that. Yeah, I had uh, my buddy who's on the Elites, Destin Demarion, called me. Mm-hmm. I texted him. I'm like, are you guys good with this? I don't know because I sent him the article. And uh, he said pretty much, you know, Vermont gave, you know, granted access to guys fishing the Elite Series to be in Vermont because they have a quarantine right. too. So he's thinking that's what's going to be the same. And I shot Ronnie a message, hopefully, hopefully that. I'll, but this has all just came out the last like couple hours so yeah literally, yeah, literally it'll be wild because it affects it affects uh the flw title it affects the la or it affects uh flw tour it affects mm-hmm. three elite series and the eastern open and yeah there's some bfls uh yeah and the river as well which but, the river too that's a whole different because like, that's canada and they don't know how they're going to deal with canada yet too they were still trying to figure that out yeah, Canada is cracking down hard on people right now. Yeah, Any boats great. from the U.S. go into the border? Like, I, I'm heard. I've been hearing some crazy, crazy fines that are getting. Hit oh, with, just for going, just for fishing on the just for going into Canadian over the water. border. Yep, just for wow. going to Canadian waters. Wow. They, uh, a buddy sent a video because there was uh, the Douglas had a big money open. Their little yeah, I saw that. Which, by the way, took 31 pounds to win. Yeah, I saw that. It took yeah. like 28 to get a check. There were guys with like 26, 27 pounds. They didn't even cash a check. I felt bad yeah. for them. It was ridiculous. But uh, they, they sent a, a photo of there's just patrol boats down the whole river right up to the, where that border is. And they're wow. just stopping everybody they see that goes, that goes across. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't even matter if you have a license. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. Also, those guys fish in Canada, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rough. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, I know it's a good intention, but, like, it's just... It's Who knows? Crazy. I mean, fishing is low on the totem pole as far as, like, priority. Right. It's just what we what we happen to do, so... Yeah. Well, it is what it is, but uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, we're recording, dude. So, uh, for everybody watching, listening, if they live under a rock and don't know who you are, talk a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, how, your first experience fishing. What's the story of how you got into fishing and who, like, installed that passion in you? Yeah, um... Well, I've been doing this full time now uh, in the industry for uh, well since 2008, so 13, 13 plus years. So I guess I mean I guess you could call that a career at this point. Um, and I mean I started fishing. My parents like took me to Canada when I was two or three. It's pretty much the same story that everyone else has, and they just like kind of fell in love with it. But really, uh, I kind of knew that I wanted to be in in the industry, in the fishing industry. Uh, so bass used to have a program called casting kids and they still have it but just not in like the competition form um and it was sponsored by like kmart and wrangler and all sort all sorts of different uh sponsors and it was like flipping pitching and casting 10 20 30 feet you could actually like qualify like local state regional and then national level and like if you made it through your region you got to go to the Bassmaster classic that paid for everything and then the winner got a $5,000 scholarship. So when I was uh, 13, 
uh, I went through all the levels. I ended up winning the national championship uh, in Greensboro, Greensboro uh, North Carolina on High Rock Lake, the one that Denny Brower won, flipping the black and blue tube. So that was like kind of how I got into it. So like I got a big like check from Hank Parker like on stage during like right before the final weigh-in of the Bassmaster Classic. And that was like when Helen Severe still owned bass. And it was like, you know, Ray Scott with the cowboy hat, the tassels, the whole nine yards. Um like Roland Martin was fishing in that one, Jimmy Houston, uh, Fish Fishburn, like we're all contestants in that classic, yeah. just to give you yeah. like some context in it. Um, so it was 1998. So after that, I was like, I was, I was pretty gung ho on it. Um, and then I got kind of got into the hockey thing for a while, uh, all the way through, you know, played juniors and I played high school and juniors and all that and realized there was like a shelf life to that because <laughs> I mean, you're good until you're around guys who are actually good. And I know you played hockey, ever had that experience where you're like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty badass at this. And then like, you have like a kid, you know, from like a D one school or plays pro jumps down, like in a yeah. scrimmage and you're like, Oh no, I'm not good at all. Yeah. So I knew that I kind of had a shelf life with that. Yeah. I was, uh, I'll, I'll interrupt you for a second here, but yeah, I, I, my generation, I got to play against the uh, Kachuk boys. So I got, oh, yeah. I learned quick when I played the the junior blues that uh, I'm not so good for, for my age. <laughs> yeah. Mine was uh, Michael Davies. He ended up being, he ended up being like the captain of Wisconsin back in the, uh, God, the mid two thousands. <laughs> I guess <laughs> would be what it is. But, like, I remember I played with him at, like, he played for the uh, St. Louis Junior uh, Blues in the uh, CSHL. And then he would, like, he, like, jumped up. We were, like, in a tryout. And this kid's, like, five, six, just, like, skating circles around everyone. And you're just, like, wow, I'm not that good. So, anyway, yeah. I knew there was a shelf life with uh, the hockey. Uh, but I knew I wanted to be in the, the fishing uh, somehow. And uh, I ended up, uh, I'd never been to Oklahoma and I ended up, uh, playing, uh, D one club hockey, ACHA, uh, which still gives you like freedom to like kind of go out on the weekends and like do other activities. <laughs> uh, but it's serious hockey and, uh, Chip Porsche, uh, who actually works for dynamic now, uh, which does like Carhartt, Carhartt, Toyota and stuff like that. So he sends me like a Facebook message. God, this is so far behind. This is, so this is when Facebook, I'm gonna give you some, some lessons here. It was only colleges, right? And you had to be in college, but you could like send messages to other people at your college and you could literally be like, oh, who from University of Oklahoma likes fishing and then search it and then like 10 people would pull up. Like that's how young Facebook was. <laughs> so I get this message from this guy's like, hi, my name's Chip. I'm going to be a uh, freshman at OU. And I was already, I came in as a, as a sophomore and I was wondering if you want to be part of the fishing team because it said you like bass fishing in your profile. I was like, yeah. So then we started, uh, there were like six of us that started the uh, Sooners Bass Club, which was the OU fishing team. Uh, like the first national championship we fished, there were like 31 boats in it. Uh, and, you know, you know how big college fishing is yeah. now. So, you know, that was back college bass sponsored by Under Armour and all that stuff. So I did that for a number of years. Then once I graduated, I uh, uh, interned for the Bass Zone, which was based out of uh, Moore, Oklahoma. Mark Jeffries uh, ran a website that he had just gone national covering, and that was back when websites were super big. Uh, they still are, but I mean, that was like, you know, a lot of your information was coming from that back in like 2006, 2007, 2008. Uh, and I was like, just went like full time with him, started my own LLC and it just kind of evolved from there, uh, covered. I went to every single elite series event from 
2000, mid 2008, all the way through, I think 2017, uh, mm. never missed one. It was like, yeah, it was a lot of travel. Um, and then fished kind of, kind of in between there and stuff. Mm. So, uh, that kind of gets it to here. And then the last uh, couple years, you know, I'd, I'd focus on all that, but, uh, always fished to just, you know, BFLs, Bass Nation, stuff like that. And then, uh, uh, I always just figured I'd know when it was time, you know, I'd never really talked about my fishing side of it. Just focus on like mm-hmm. the media writing video, covering the elite series, the FLW tour stuff. Um, and you know, kind of got situated in that kind of stabilized and was like, okay, now it's time to kind of start fishing. So now I'm kind of trying to start chapter two and move on, you know, fish the coasts last year and the Bassmaster opens this year, fish the opens in 15, just to see what it was like and got mm-hmm. my ass absolutely handed to me. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, you know, each year just kind of progress, progress. So now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do kind of both with the, the Bass Talk Live podcast, which is what that's evolved into, which is 99% of just my job is just doing BTL and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then fishing. So that's where we are now. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. So what, what did you, what did you end up going to school for? What was your degree? Uh, I was a communications major. Okay. Um, yeah. So I did, uh, I did. Uh, wherever I played junior hockey, like I played in Cincinnati for a year and Iowa for a year, I would take uh, junior college classes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I came in with my associates. And then, uh, like I said, I knew I wanted to be in the fish. I knew I wanted to fish, but uh, I, I wanted to kind of be in the industry also. I just wanted to be like, it, the more I got into it, once I started interning, the more I realized like the more... Uh, the more tentacles, I guess, you can yeah. have, the better, because it's a very big industry, but it's also very small. So the more like skill sets that you have, the more likely you're able to get a little piece of the pie instead of have all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I tried to, you know, I've, I've done you know, like pro team management, writing articles, podcasting, video work, editing, uh, running a website, the podcasting stuff, uh, kind of like main like doing a little bit of not like agent stuff but like doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes ghost writing writing for magazines and stuff so uh mm-hmm. as i said i've just tried to do a little bit of everything to to stay in it full time because it's, it's the only full time it's the only job i've ever had like i've never had an office job i've never done anything else i like slid lumber during the summers like off like in high school and college and that was it and other than that i've just been in the, in the fishing industry yeah, well, I mean, it takes a lot of effort, though, to put on a successful podcast that you and Jeffries do. Like, it, it's a lot of work that goes into that. I mean, for, for mine here, I, I put in probably a few hours just for my mediocre put-together podcast here. It doesn't take a lot of effort to do this, it, but I can't even imagine at the level that you guys are at. Yeah, know? that's all Jeffries. Uh, I mean, he's been do- he's been in the industry, so he started uh, the, the Bass Zone. 20 plus years ago and he had a, a show on Sirius XM um actually with Gary Judici who runs Blue Heron Communications uh this has some big accounts uh over the years and it was actually it would be on on like one of the sports stations so like you turn on XM and boom it'd be the bass zone on Sirius XM and then when the merger happened with uh with uh Sirius and all that stuff that went down it just didn't become feasible and that was right like Jeffries has always been like a tinker. So he put in like 25 years at UPS, then retired. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been like a entre- very entrepreneur. So he like wanted to get on the forefront of this live stuff. So in like two, 
2007, 2008, we were doing like live on the water coverage with like firewire and stuff from the lake. And, you know, I'd be like under like with a laptop that like the police use, like a tough book <laughs> laptop with like a firewire connected to a handheld camera. I'd be like running it back through, rendering it, sending it to Jeffries, who would have like all this stuff set up. And then we would run like 15 minutes of live footage of fishing back in like 2007, 2008. Um, and so it like developed, he wanted to do a live show. So that started with like eight or 10 people in 2008, like Kenyon Hill, who used to fish was one of it, Drew Smith, Judice, Brent Conway, him. And then I, I guess I just stuck around. Like I was, I just continue to stick around. And then for the past like five years, it's just been me and Mark. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's such a, that's such a story. And like, that's one of the reasons like I like, really really like bass talk live is because you hear a lot about the history and like i mentioned offline to you i don't have a lot of connection when it comes to the industry every mm -hmm. connection i have is i've began and i've initiated it right because i was i come from a sport background those that and fishing doesn't really kind of meld together um but i like to hear about how things were in the past and like you'll you'll bring up like a certain tournament series like where you and uh jeffrey's talk about where you know pros would have to fish in the same boat together yeah and i'm, and I'm like wait what like i was mind blown i had to stop and i actually pulled over to a rest stop one time so i was so mind blown and i looked up on my phone and i read for like 30 minutes and i got back on the road because i was so like i just i it was a, it was a shock like i didn't know how things yeah. were in the past you know and it's not like it, it gets highlighted like it does in nba or nfl or anything like that so that's why i like because you guys have the background for it you have the knowledge of it so that's one thing that's pretty cool, and I love hearing that. I just had to had to mention that too. Yeah, that's kind of one of my pet peeves in this deal is um, so like baseball and stuff. You get on like baseball tonight. You have like Tim Kirchin. You have like record books. You have histories of everything. So you can, when something happens, okay, like when Edwin Evers has a year like he did last year uh, on the BPT, or uh, Jacob Wheeler has that year, or you know uh, something happens on bass, like KVD had a year on bass, like. In other sports, you can you can relate that back to like previous years and statistics and say this is significant because this hasn't happened. Like in bass fishing, I feel like there's a lot of the history that isn't like well known um, by the majority of people. And it's not like easy to put it into context. Probably the most knowledgeable guy. Not probably. He is the most knowledgeable guy. He runs tack tackle fishing retailer right now uh, is Ken Duke. And he actually has like a manifesto um, of all sorts of different records, baits, lures to, to really put things into context. But uh, yeah, I mean, like it's it, it kind of drives me, me nuts. There's so many people that don't don't really know the history of, you know, the sport and how it evolved. And the cool thing about bass fishing is it's like a young it's a it's an old sport, but it's like a young sport. So, like, I mean, we just had the 50th Bassmaster Classic. Like, the guy who started this thing is 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 Ray Scott. And, I mean, you've got guys who fished, who won the first couple Bassmaster Classics walking around the expo floor, and Rick Clun, and Gary, you know, Gary Klein. Uh, I mean, he's, he's probably not going to be fishing Bassmaster Classic anytime soon. Klein isn't, but <laughs> being over at MLF. But you have the guys who are, like, there at the beginning. You can, like, still sit down and talk to uh, and it's really cool. I just I think you put it all into and in the history of all the different tours and how it evolves. You know, it was a 10 fish limit and then a seven fish limit. Now it's a five fish limit. Now you have MLF with uh, minimum weights and all that. You've had 
50 boat fields in the E50. You've had bracket championships over a decade ago in FLW to determine the FLW Cup head-to-head matchups and brackets and seed. You've had a million different formats and stuff that have gone on in the sport. And I think like in order to put in context, especially what's happened the last couple of years, it's important that people know like that entire history of the sport. Yeah. It's, I think one thing that kind of speaks to that, and I've told a story a couple of times um, for anybody who listens to the show is I was at the classic this year and I was at the Douglas booth and across from the Douglas mm-hmm. booth was P line. And so you had like thrift and them coming through, but then Scott Martin came through and he had a line out the freaking door of, mm-hmm. of people trying to meet him. And I thought what was funny is his friend Billy, for people who watch his YouTube channel know who Billy is. And I'm sitting there talking off the side to Billy. And Roland Martin comes up and stands next to me. And he's poking fun because no one is talking to Roland. No one's paying attention to Roland whatsoever. Everyone is paying attention to Scott. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is a legend. Like, why, why am I the only one that recognizes this? And that kind of speaks to it. Like, there's no history. It's hard to access history. I mean... You might know of their names, but like people don't really realize. I, I think some kid asked Roland Martin if he was Jimmy Houston. Like, it was, it's just right. That, but I, I get your point. It's really and what you have to understand them. with that Scott and Roland, like so nine angler of the years and stuff. So all Scott Martin is doing right now is exactly what Roland Martin did 40 years ago. It's just with a different medium. So what Roland did with the TV shows and fishing with Roland Martin and the helicopter lure and TV and all that, that was that era's YouTube and Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok. And he's taking that exact same method, combining it with his obvious immense talent that he has. I mean, you look at the Angler of the Years and the Forest Wood Cups and the record number of tour wins and $3 million in earnings. And... And all he's doing is taking the blueprint that he learned from his dad 40 years ago when, when Roland was doing that uh, and winning Angler of the Years and doing fishing with Roland Martin and promoting these products. And he's doing it in 2020, in 2019 and 2018. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, you know, it's just, a, a, you know, we're forgetting the good anglers with the YouTube anglers and all that. No, it's the same thing that happened before. And trust me, in 15 or 20 years, there'll be something after you know, maybe yeah. even sooner than that, there'll be something after YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and podcasts and all that stuff. And people will be saying, oh, I remember the good old days when people could just get on YouTube and blah, blah, blah and all that. So it's just, a, in my opinion, at least, like a natural progression. And there's no better scene than in the Martin family because those guys have capitalized by taking their success and then maximizing it on what the, the most current platform is to reach the masses and sell stuff. Because that's what it all yeah. comes down to is selling stuff. Yeah. But it's it's cool. It's interesting too because you you mentioned how you know fishing is an old sport, but it's also a new sport. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's cool because with that being said, being new, there's a lot of adjusting and there's a lot of shifts every year. There's new changes coming year by year. Yeah. And with that, the, these fishermen that have been in the game for a long time are having to try new things now to keep up with this new modern age that we're in. And mm-hmm. the episode that dropped today, I talked to them about it. Uh, Brent Butler, you you know Brent mm-hmm. Butler, he. Him and I were talking about how the same thing about anglers that are a little bit older have to keep up with the modern age. It's like Rick Clun getting an Instagram like that. We thought that was a prime example of somebody who's a little bit on the old fashioned who's doing their best to keep up with modern times. And I think that's awesome. But I mean, personally, I love that Rick Clun has an Instagram. I want to oh, hear more. Dude, about have you watched his YouTube? I didn't even realize he had a YouTube. Oh my God, Rick Clun has a badass YouTube. 
Like yeah. he goes through like the history of lures and stuff, and it like it's legit. Like, do not go to Rick Clun's YouTube until you're ready to go down the wormhole because you'll watch it all. <laughs> like, I don't know who he hired to do that. Like, I was trying to figure out like who, because I mean, I don't think he's doing it by himself. I think he's got some. Obviously, he's got someone who's helping him. Uh, yeah. But they're doing a great job on it. Like, I mean, it's if you want to go like learn the history of Rick Clun, like I'm so glad there's not like rap music in the background and stuff. Like it's like legit Rick Clun. They just kind of let this stuff roll. And it's like yeah. old school stories of like, you know, the pop R and how he introduced it to Zell Roland and like the Rio Rico and the buzz bait and how he discovered yeah. the buzz bait and like the square bill, like just really cool stuff that he goes in depth on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You need to check that out. I'm mad. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, I he's, I got, a, he's got a he's got a cool. Let me look it up. Have you read? Uh, have you watched that uh, that video that he's in? Like the old school uh, video. I want to make sure it's called the right thing. Hold on, bear with me here. I'm trying to think. It's got like. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... There's like an old. There's like an old video a film yeah it's called Bassman. b-a-s-s-m-a-n and it and it's uh it's rick clun yellis and takahiro mori and it's from like 2005 i have not it's, it's really cool you need to you need to check that out too it's like it talks all about takahiro coming over and it like goes through rick clun's strategy there's like segments of him like crawling through the grass trying to become one with nature and all sorts of like his good stuff <laughs> and then like Jay Yellis like covered on like right after you know during when he won, won the classic and stuff. Yeah, yeah you need to That's check that out, dude. I got a cool Rick Clun story. So at the uh, Costa last year, Rick Clun, I didn't even know he had a brother. Rick Clun uh, was staying like I was staying by myself at Lake of the Ozarks. So like Lake of the Ozarks, historic fishery. Rick Clun goes way back there. Uh, because before he moved to, uh, Missouri, he was in like Houston, Texas working as like a computer programmer. And like one day he was in traffic and he's like, screw this, I'm out. He's like guiding on Conroe. He ended up up in, up in, uh, Missouri. Right. Um, so there's like a ton of history there. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like Rick Clun staying next to me. And, and he knows who I am, not because of me like covering the sport or anything, but because I love to play poker and Rick Clun is a huge <laughs> Texas Hold'em poker player like plays in the heartland poker tournaments and stuff like that. So every time he sees me, he wants to talk Texas Hold'em. Mm. Uh, so he was like staying right next door. And uh, uh, I kept like running into him back and forth through the practice days. I just thought it was cool. So I'm like in, in the Walmart by myself at like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like going down the aisle and I hear like, <whistles> I'm like, the heck is that? So like I keep shopping, I like go down another aisle and I hear like, I'm like, what is going on here? I like come around the third aisle and like Rick Klon had been like whistling at me and he like looks at my cart and he goes, who are you staying with? Cause he'd been, you know, he'd see, we'd see each other for like three days and we had, I said myself and he goes, that's an awful lot of food for one person. <laughs> And he sat there and he was fishing with his brother and he hadn't, his brother was fishing his like first bass tournament in like 35 years and stuff. Oh and they've been practicing together uh, all week. And then Rick made the top 10 that week. And I remember like on day two Ozarks, it's like pouring down rain, just crazy. Everyone's like under the 
awnings at Lake of the Ozark and Rick's just like sitting in his boat, just like super focused with like rain, just pelting down on him in the pre-dawn like darkness. I'm like, like that guy's seen some stuff, man. He's been around since the beginning. He's won four classics and he's still like just as pumped to do it in 2019 as he was back then. Yeah. Oh, what was it that he was like, he had to like take a second to calm down after like a five pounder or something. Cause his hands were shaking. Cause he was so yeah. Excited. When he, when he caught that, uh, that'd have been the Oh five classic, I think that, or the Oh six classic that Clawson won. Uh, he caught it on that spinner bait in the yeah. grass. It was like a 10 pounder and he couldn't like, he couldn't even like, he's done that a couple times. He did that too, uh, in Florida the last couple years. Yeah. You hope I'm still like shaking when I'm 70. Don't you? Yeah. Like the good kind of shake, like, like just say, yeah. <laughs> shaking for good reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I had no idea he had a YouTube channel. Wow, how did that, dude? I literally am on YouTube every day. Like I list, I watch like two videos, three videos before I go to bed every night. I don't know how with the what I search on YouTube that has not popped up. His channel is not popped up. Algorithm right. Apparently, apparently not. He's got a lot of views on it. I mean, some of them have fifteen, you know, twelve, fifteen thousand views. Like oh. Skeet's channel, like he's come out with some good stuff too. I like his stuff where he sits yeah, in. Yeah, and Edwin. Yeah. Yeah, I like how he slips in a little bit of trash talk when he talks to him. Skeet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just Skeet, man. Yeah, I like the because obviously I talked to Jimmy a bunch, his brother, because he's with Douglas. Okay. Yep. And I I like the video Jimmy posted and Skeet posted. I think it was this morning or yesterday evening where they were talking they're next to each other waiting to blast off so they're talking trash and you're like as long as i beat my brother as long as i beat my brother yeah. skeets <laughs> again I, I, yeah i haven't even looked to see the results from today i forgot to look at that do you know who's winning as I of mean, day two it, no uh uh jason reyes like drilled him he had like 27 oh, pounds wow. oh yeah. my gosh Jeez. yeah he caught the heck out of him just throwing a yeah. sink i wasn't really surprised to see wheeler winning day one i was just yeah. i was like it, it it sounds bad. I'm not trying to put a negative term on it because I I'm using the Patriots, but I was like, oh, there he goes. The Patriots win another Super Bowl. Like it goes Wheeler again. That it's Dude, like, you know what? I would so say, good. okay, they, Kevin is still the Patriots. Kevin we kind of had this okay. talk on on BTL. Kevin is still the Patriots. Okay. Wheeler is Mahomes. Okay. Wheeler is Mahomes because Kevin has Kevin has the. The six, seven AOYs. He's got the four classics. He's got the mid twenties wins. I mean, Kevin is a brand under himself. You're talking about Wheeler, who's not thirty yet. No angler of the years under his belt. Hasn't won the classic. He's won a cup. He's gotten second in the cup. Uh, Yeah, he's won stuff on on MLF. He's now won stuff on every level of uh, FLW, and he's won elite series tournaments. And he's done it in a short amount of time. But if you want to look at significant wins, you'd have to go with Jordan Lee. Because Jordan Lee has the heavy hitters, the inaugural BPT, and two classics. That's true. So so you have to do the weight. So Van Dam is still, in my opinion, that's all up for debate. That's why it's fun. No, yeah. It's still the Patriots. But you've got Mahomes. I think Wheeler is Mahomes. There's my homes. Okay. Because look at he's like on yeah. pace to. Yeah. He's on pace to break it all. Because he's I, I get yeah I I would agree because he's been consistent in the past what would you give it two three years. Wheeler? He's consistently he's no he's been really consistent, consistent since he won the since 
2011 when he won the uh, All-American. I mean, he literally was on the cover of FLW Magazine, and it said, the next big thing. Whoever whoever named that cover back then, I mean, he was 19 years old. He won it, and then he top 10 in the cup. I remember interviewing, I remember interviewing the guy. Oh, wow. I mean, he hadn't done any. He, he came in. So, you know, Wheeler barely, like, Wheeler barely even made the All-American. Like, really? he made it in, like, the last event of his BFL season. Like, he almost didn't even make it, like, to the All-American. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, like, again, I haven't even looked that far back. Yeah. Like, I know, was it, like, his, the first uh, elite, uh, elite tournament he, he won? Yeah, his well, he won uh, Bass Fest. Bass Fest, okay. And then he, then he won the first one on, on Cherokee Lake. Uh, when he was actually on the Elite Series. Okay. But, yeah. So, I mean, he's been he's been really good since he came onto the scene. The same with Jordan Lee. I mean, Jordan Lee was one of the few guys to where you're at a college event. And, I mean, it's hard for college kids to stick out. I remember covering it because I was running a website that I started called College Bass Zone. And it was during that time that Jordan Lee was actually in college. And it was like, that's the guy right there. Like, I mean, he just caught him better than everyone else and didn't even like really try that was the thing yeah. like matt yeah. lee calls it the gordon lee pattern oh god let's go over there and see if there's a five pounder over there well what do you know there was <laughs> i mean how do you teach that dude you uh, can't that's like the sixth sense. that's the gift yeah. that's crazy but man I i'm trying to think of i don't know why that i i thought it's only been in recent i knew wheeler has won in the past but I guess timeline, I wasn't obviously. I'm obviously not knowledgeable on his timeline. I don't know why in the past couple of years where it's just been like Wheeler's been the biggest name. Well, uh, because he's been winning a lot lately too. But yeah. he also has the YouTube channel and the presence. And you remember he got in there with Scott Martin, and one of his big influences was Joe Thomas uh, from Ultimate Match Fishing. Right. Uh, so he's always been very conscious and in the forefront since he came on. The dudes like might come off as golly OG shucks, but like. He's a freaking killer, man. Like he likes the fact that people that it drives people nuts that he catches them so good. Yeah, yeah. Like he's he's all about it. Like he is, he is intense. Yeah, he's I, the I think opposite it's funny. Of <laughs> I, I think it's and they both that, catch. Yeah, no, very true. It, you said the the golly, and I, I've been watching his channel a lot because I like to watch his mannerisms and how he sort like, he talks to himself. Like when you talk, when you listen to him, like when he breaks it down when he's on the water, I listen, I watch it because of that, because I feel like I can learn something for how his mind works when he's on the water. But dude, I was sitting there, uh, I was out in the water uh, on Lake Ontario, and I had seen this smallmouth, this giant smallmouth cruising by me, and I'm like, golly, and I'm like, did I just get that from a Wheeler video? <laughs> as long as you don't say ding, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But dude, you brought up um, see, you brought up the college. How like when somebody sticks out in college, and I'm not going to put him on the same level as Jordan by any means. But he had a great finish at the Arkansas River that you fished, John Garrett. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's I, I I like I said, I'm not very knowledgeable on the whole industry as a whole. But is he still in college or is he fresh out? He's out, I, I think. He might even still be in college, but I think Cody Huff, like, kind of took... Like, okay, Bethel Fishing is the it Alabama goes. Crimson Tide of, of college fishing. Yeah. They, like, pump it out. If you look at where they're located, the anglers that they've had, 
they dominate and they end up with a bunch of good fishermen that go there. Um, and obviously John Garrett and they like work together. Um, and they're all like really good kids too. Uh, Mm -hmm. whenever I've interviewed them and talked to them, they're all like super humble, super knowledgeable. Uh, and yeah, I mean, those guys, those guys are all going to be around for a long time. Like Bethel, like my, my theory on the college fishing is like within, and I started saying this probably four or five years ago, but I think within five years, um, you're seeing a lot of, a lot of guys come out with college degrees, um, that are coming to the tour. You're seeing a lot more business savvy to survive in this industry, right? You have to have a, a business plan. You have to, to, to make smart decisions. And I'm not saying that there's not, not guys. I mean, there's guys who didn't graduate high school that I know of who are like making millions in this industry, but I'm just saying as a whole, I think in five to 10 years, you'll be on watching the elite series or the FLW tour. And just like they do in football, they'll say like, you know, it's his seventh year out of Bethel and everybody will have the college that they went to, you know, next to their name. It won't be like, Oh look, he's a college angler. Like, look, the college stuff is working. Like, yeah, the college stuff is working. You got a bunch of guys in college who are like kicking everyone's butt right now because they're five, six, seven years out. Um, and the way that that's established and the, the proving and learning ground, I mean, I think you're going to have 70, 80% of the field, uh, within 10, 15 years that fished collegiately. I mean, it's just the way to go. It's the way you're seeing a lot of guys going. And I mean, the, uh, I was kind of, I graduated in 08 and I was kind of part of that first wave of guys like Chip Porsche uh, made the elite series in 2013. You're talking about like Brandon card, uh, clint davis uh there's a bunch of you know a number of different guys but you could name you know eight or nine of them now it's like peppered throughout you're talking 15 20 percent of the guys fish collegiately if you look across you know the whole board so yeah cody he got he was top 10 right at arkansas yeah 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 they said like stayed in the same pool and had like some basic pattern that was like oh god these guys are like way too good for how old they are (laughs) i'm like running 80 miles trying to jump sandbars i'm like yes i've got four and they're just like culling fish in the main pool like i've been (laughs) a tank and a half over the whole tournament i'm like um you know yeah i was laughing at your video of you getting out of the boat to to push your boat and and pulling through i thought that was yeah never had a Man, like, so, like, my legs right now are, like, black and blue because, like, my upper body strength is really lacking. So I was, like, pushing with the push-pull with my legs. I'm, like, looking at my legs. I'm, like, why does it look like I've been, like, beaten with, like, a stick on my legs? It's, like, oh, because of the push-pull. And I fished fished that open on the Arkansas River. I think I had six and a half hours of fishing time over two days. And out of that six and a half hours, I spent three hours trying to push-pull into one area and i never got into it jeez yeah so i fished for like four hours over two days it's stupid and finished second (laughs) i'm lucky to hell i didn't finish last i don't know how i caught one in it i literally like spent most of the time out of the boat pushing out of the area that i've gone on to get stuck because you can get out of the boat to push out you just can't get out to push in yeah so i would like get stuck get out push out then like a dumbass get stuck again get out push out and then i realized every time i got stuck i was like making it another six inches trying to get over a sandbar into a pond that i knew they lived in i'd been able to get into it on sunday yeah. uh but by thursday they dropped the water six inches and the bass cat lynx is i mean it's a 
it's a cruise ship. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I noticed and, you, when you did that video with Christy, I don't know why, but your deck looked massive compared to his. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, a big, it it's a big huge. deck. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love the fish. It's a great fishing platform. I love the thing. But yeah, so I would. I, what I realized was every time I hit it safely and legally, uh, <laughs> I would like, I would get another like six inches of the trough to get like through the eight foot sandbar. Yeah. So I was like, man, if I do this like six more times, I'll like have a trough that I can just idle through. Yeah. <laughs> so I did it on day two and I got through it, but it never occurred to me that like once I got into the front half of it, like to get into the back half where the fish were, I had to go over a flat that had been in a foot and a half of water. And now was in like 10 inches of water. Oh so God. I was like, I was like, you'll see it on the YouTube video. I was like, yeah, I was like, we're in baby. Yeah. I can't believe it. We're like hugging my co-angler. And then it's just like, won't. And I'm like, Oh God. And there's no way I could get over that second flat. So I had to just push no. the boat out and then had a couple hours to fish. Oh. It's the craziest <laughs> thing I'd done in a tournament. I mean, you pay, $1,900 or $1,800 to go fish and open. And then you run 50 miles, you lock, you know, you only have three and a half, four hours to fish. And then you spend two of those hours trying to jump a sandbar. I was surprised <laughs> I had the guts to do it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. What did your co-angler say when you told him? He, to play he, so the day one, I didn't have a co-angler. So I was like, yeah, okay. whatever. But I also didn't spend, I only spent like half an hour trying to get in there on day one because I was like, okay, let's not just like completely be out of it after day one. So like I wanted to make sure that I brought some fish in. So I, you know, I caught four and day two, I was like, man, if I can get 45 minutes back in that pond, I think I'd do pretty good. Um, so we spent like an hour and a half. He was all about it, man. He was like in and out of the boat and stuff. Oh, dang. That's yeah. cool. He's like a uh, an older dude who was like in really good shape. Cause so here's the here's the funny part about it. So like because I got his phone number and stuff, I was trying to figure out if I need to get in there or not. And I like had to call him up and ask him how much he weighed. Oh my <laughs> like God. over the phone. I was like, there's no easy way around this, dude. But like, how much do you weigh? He's like, 140 pounds soaking wet. And I was like, cool. I was like, you cool with like wearing shorts and potentially having to get in the water? Hell yeah, I'm up for an adventure. I was like, awesome, dude. That could so, have, yeah, yeah that could I wish he'd caught more, but you know, I had two for 413, 62nd. I'm not completely out of it trying to qualify for the elites, but I mean, it's obviously not where I want to be. It's not like an impressive yeah. finish in any means, but is that the goal? Is that your, yeah, 100%. Yeah, nice. uh, at this point, like I want to, I want to combine what I've learned over. 13 years working in the industry and fishing and then like transition that into the into the fishing side of it and it's kind of frustrating because everyone just assumes oh you've been around it you live it i mean talking about it doing it covering it being with the guys who are doing it is 100 percent different than actually doing it yourself oh, uh what it, what it comes it. down to is decision making Mm -hmm. decision making i think and and time on the water which i've got a lot of time on the water but the only way you can get good at decision-making is to make decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, you can cover it and know all this stuff and everything, but if you're not making those decisions, you're not, you're going to suck until you, until you've made a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. Well, that's what so, you see the, the best anglers doing. I mean, they might not be the best mechanically or they might, might not be in tune with the best, you know, patterns or, or what, whatever you want to call it, but they know where to go, when to throw what and, and how to throw it at the right times. 
and that's I've why they're successful. I said this a couple times before, but like, so everyone's like, oh, well, what about a Brandon Polinick? A guy came out at what, 22, 23, won the Bass Nation, jumped on the Elite Series, or he almost won the Classic, jumped on the Elite Series, won in 13. He's off. He's uh, yeah. low 20s. How's he competing with all these guys? He must be a freak. No, here's the deal. So let's take your average bass tournament angler. Married, got a couple kids, got a boat, uh, mm -hmm. fishes a lot. Let's say the guy fishes two tournaments a month. That's every other weekend. You're talking about missing soccer games, basketball, ballet, wine parties, but that type of stuff. <laughs> you're fishing two weekends a month, right? So yeah. that means you're, you're practice. Let's say you practice uh, two days and you fish a day for a tournament because most of those are going to be single. So you're talking about uh, six days a month that you're on the water. And I'm going somewhere with this. Now, let's say you do that 10 months out of the year, right? That's 60 days a year that you're on the water. I think most people vastly overestimate how many days they're actually on the water a year. How many days do you fish? 150, 200. Eh, actually mark it off on a calendar. You're not fishing every other day of the year. 180 days is like every other day of the freaking year. That's six months straight that you're spending on the water. You're not yeah. doing that if you're holding yeah. down a regular job. So anyway, you've got a guy who's a serious tournament angler. He's fishing six, uh, six days a week. That's every other week with a, two practice days and a tournament. But during those practice days, he's not learning stuff. He's trying to find fish for his tournament that's on that Sunday with his buddy. He's not out there expanding his arsenal and learning new techniques. He's trying not to suck on Sunday by yeah. practicing Friday and Saturday. So let's say he does that 10 months out of the year. So that's 60 days a year that that serious angler with all the stuff who covers everything is on the water, right? Yeah. So let's say over... Uh, 60 days a year, so in two years, that's, what, 120 days. In three years, that's 180 days. Yeah. So in three years, he's doing 180 days. Now let's say you have Brandon Polinick, who's 18 years old, who works, who saved up his money, who's eating beanie weenies, who's living on the road, fishing the FLW Tour as a co-angler with a crappy boat and a crappy truck and literally doesn't care where he sleeps, but is on the water and is putting strings of eight to 10 days on the water, not only fishing tournaments, but learning, but building on what he's doing to where he gets on a bite and he's following where these fish are going on different bodies of water all across the country. What it takes an average dude with kids who's a serious tournament and like kids has nothing to do with it. I'm just saying like, that's yeah. takes a lot of time away, oh, 100%. but what that guy is doing in three years Brandon Polinick is literally doing in less than a year. So then extrapolate that. So what it takes Brandon Polinick two or three years to learn, it takes the, the, the average serious tournament angler a decade to learn. So that's how you've got a guy who's 21, 22 years old, who's way more advanced than guys who are 20, 30 years older than him because it's not, I mean, yeah, they can be savants and they can learn from it. But they're building on what they're learning from because they're on the water for a longer period of time. They're mm -hmm. not trying to catch fish for a tournament. They're trying to understand and learn fish. So they're learning techniques and growing with it. And they're packing it all into a shorter period of time. So they're absorbing more and more of it becomes natural to them because they're not starting the process over every single week. So that's how you get guys like Jacob Wheeler, like Jordan Lee, like Brandon Polinick, or 18, 19, 20 years old who come onto the scene 
And everyone's like, look at these freaks. No, these guys have like lived on the water for the past two or three years and have 10, 15, 20 years of experience under their belt. They've just done it in two years. Yeah. No, it's, I think a lot of people kind of overlook that for sure. Yeah. Time that was a walk, Sorry, I mean, I got way. Well, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's appreciated because it, it it makes sense when you put it all together. Mm. So, but it's it's crazy because people talk about it. It's like you know, with all if you have the passion, you have the dedication, everything. But no, like you literally need to dedicate everything to be on that level. You know, it's it can't be just a weekend thing for you if you want to be that good. Yeah, and I mean, it can be a weekend thing. Like it's great, like a weekend thing. Like you know there's nothing wrong with it being a weekend thing and being serious about it. I mean, you could be very competitive and fish on the weekends and, uh, and fish the open level and heck even fish the FLW tour and fish the coast to series and all that. It's just, it just, you know, we're talking about the top 0.01% out of the top 1% in this, out of the millions of people who pick up a rod and reel. It's just, you know, those guys feel like that's, their focus that's the most important thing whereas you know you know if i go play a game of ping pong i'm not practicing 15 hours a day but somewhere there's a kid practicing 15 hours a day of ping pong and i'll pick it up every three months and and you know be like oh cool i can put spin on the ball i'm happy yeah <laughs> where it's good enough you know you catch a yeah fish on the yeah it's just it's enough. just what your what your your yeah. deal is but you know yeah it's so you've obviously seen the reign of a lot of a lot of angler uh, anglers and characters and obviously you've seen different work ethics and things in in your opinion and it might even be different times where you've seen certain anglers work harder than others but overall who have you seen or known that literally works the hardest in your opinion honestly still ike really like ike dude he doesn't have to work that hard every tournament i see ike in like it's it's a He's the first at the boat ramp, the last out. Like, Ike still works his tail off. And I'd put Jacob Wheeler in that category, too. Those guys work incredibly hard. But, yeah, Ike has, a, Ike has an incredible work ethic. I've heard that from a few different people. That's pretty sweet. And especially, like, he has – because not only that, but, like, how many different things is he involved with? Yeah. Yeah, I think those guys are able to compartmentalize, like KVD, Edwin, Ike, Skeet. All those guys are able to compartmentalize what they've got going on. Yeah. In life. But yeah. but here's the oh. thing about practice. Like, okay, it doesn't matter if you're out there daylight to dark if you're not practicing efficiently. Yeah. So you've also got a bunch of guys who are like, I don't know why I'm not catching them. I'm going out there. I'm, I'm at 5 a.m. I'm getting off the water at 8 p.m. I'm literally mad. But if you don't know why you're practicing, if you're not out there for a reason and it's not productive, then why are you out on the water? Like time on the water does not just because you're in the library doesn't mean you're learning anything. (laughs) And just because you're reading a book doesn't mean you're going to pass the test. Like you have to be reading the right book in the library, understanding what you're reading. Mm -hmm. You have to apply that same thing to the lake. So like I found and I mean, I've I've roomed and, and traveled with a lot of these guys covering the tournaments for some of them. Like, dude, I'll be like at the house, like editing video and they'll show up at like 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. And you're like, the hell are you doing, man? Like you got like nine more hours. And it's like, it just wasn't productive. Like I wasn't, it wasn't feeling it. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. I wasn't getting anything. I was just, I was, and they're done for that day. Well, for them, that decision was productive. 
Other mm-hmm. times they like come in and they're like, dude, I found something like Twilight and I think it's going to play. So I think that's a, another important aspect to get is have a reason why you're out there. Like obviously Ike has a reason, but if you're just yeah. out there beating your head against the wall, practicing without a reason, without feeling like you're building something, yeah. get the hell off the water, man. You're not doing any good. You're just like frustrating you're yourself. Your, yeah. yeah, you're throwing yourself mentally. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I, we're all still guilty of it. Like I was guilty of it for a couple of days at this open too, where I was just out there and I'm just like mindlessly fishing. And I'm like, well, I got to be out here, man. It's like an official practice day. Well, I wasn't being like, I had no reason to be out there. All I did was waste my time and yeah. get, get discouraged. <laughs> my, In my my buddy, yeah. When, uh, and there's another interesting aspect to the whole practice thing is, uh, how much you're actually fishing. Right. So like, when Buddy Gross won at Ufala, my buddy called me, like, what, asking if I was watching it. And I said I was, so I was telling him. And he goes, oh, he said he, he said he only he fished for one hour during practice. And what was he do, just, like, sitting around doing nothing? And I'm like, no, like, he's on his grass, dude. Like, he's an offshore. That's what he's known for. He's, he's a ledge fisherman. He, he knows how to read offshore. And he's, like, talking. He's, oh, that's a waste of time. You should be finding fish. I'm like, that, that, that is what he's doing. Like, I think it's, like, we talked about getting, like, you know, the modern age now with these electronics becoming more, not that they weren't necessary back, you know, 10, 15, 20. I don't know the timeline of electronics. But how literally they become, if you don't have them, you're already a loop behind everybody. Like, if you don't have the electronics and know how to read them, like, you're already yeah, in a sense. three steps behind people. Yep. And I think what kind of going back to Cody Huff for a second is uh, with Rick Lund, how Rick Lund was saying how Cody helps. He's like, Cody helps me read these uh, new electronics coming out. Yeah. That was so cool how this old, like older traditional legend can learn from somebody whose name we just heard of, you know, a year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty sweet. Like, I, Yeah. Rick's always been open to that, man. I've seen him. I've seen him in uh brett heights boat talking about chatterbaits i've seen him in rojas's boat talking about frogs like rick doesn't sit there and be like dude i'm rick clun like he's he's really cool he's really open to learning but yeah i mean i i i agree with you on on that i mean eventually it'll get to a point though where like i think it'll be cyclical and randy block it's big on this he's actually doing that this year uh in the opens he's fishing out of like a thirty thousand dollar rig and he's got like minimum he does minimal graphs on it and stuff to where like he's going back to his intuition but yeah. i think i mean i think just like jinko jeans and like jean shorts with pockets in them are going to become stylish again in probably eight to ten years <laughs> i think you're going to see a bunch of guys who are like oh like john cox is like think about like john cox is like known for fishing the bank right yeah. okay yeah. picture that 10 years ago everyone fished the freaking bank yeah. 10 years ago yeah. now it's like john cox bank fishing guru and it's like dude that's what everybody did 10 years ago and it was like oh look at these guys who are offshore now like everybody's offshore reading the graphs and it's like bill lowen and john cox the the magic bank fishermen yeah <laughs> and, and, and I think you're going to then see more guys go back to the bank because what's going to happen? These guys are going to go out like they are in Chickamauga and be like, man, I am tired of 150 boats out here that have side imaging and down imaging and 360 and pan optics and live scope. 
and the unpressured fish are going to be on the bank. And then everyone's going to go to the bank. And then 20 years from there, they're all going to freaking go back out shore. Yeah. That, that shift has been so interesting to me. And that's something I've been talking a little bit about in recent podcasts was up in the north. I mean, if you find anything offshore, naturally, like, most likely those fish have never really seen a bait. They don't get pressured out there. Really? The people in the north, there's docks on most of our glacial lakes up here. Oh, yeah. So everybody just kind of goes out and fishes docks and, and just shallow grass. If you find anything offshore, I mean, not many people do it. Whereas down in like Chickamauga, the lakes like, you know, like Chickamauga or uh, Gunnersville, and everyone. TVA fisheries. Exactly. People naturally are more, more than shallow are fishing offshore. So you're seeing that shift of those unpressured fish moving shallow because it's getting less pressure than offshore. And like I was watching, um, it was Jody White's Instagram story, I believe it was. It's uh, he's glancing across the lake, and there's like three boats sharing a ledge. And I'm sitting, I'm like, I would be going nuts first, because like for me, I'd like my space. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I don't know how three boats share it. Like I thought, I thought back to like the Lambert Randy Haynes deal. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, they were bumper to bumper. You know your fishing boats, history. Yeah, like I thought. <laughs> I'm just like those boats aren't that far apart. Like I'm like yeah. this used to blow up, and now it's like it's. I don't know. It's and it all works. You don't know. Those could be three guys that are living in the same house. Probably. Uh, that, are, that are sharing a spot that said, hey, let's, let's blow this shell bed out on two days and make sure no one else gets in it. I mean, it could be guys that are, it could be a guy who owes someone a favor from the last tournament uh, where he was fishing a slough and the guy came in and he said, hey, man, come on in here. I know you need a check too. Uh, and then when he rolls up on that shell bed, he said, hey, you got me last time. Now, I mean, you don't you don't know how any of that stuff goes down. Or it could be four really pissed off guys casting at each other, going, "Why the hell are you here?" <laughs> you don't know what the yeah. scenario is. Yeah, it's, it's all different ones of that. Yeah. So well, I mean, comes... ironically, I watched, and it's the two guys who started MLF. I watched Boyd Duckett and Gary Klein on one on one side and one on the other side, right outside of Paris Landing on Kentucky Lake in the mid two thousands. Fire one ounce football jigs at each other's head because they were both pissed that each one was on the shell bed it was the greatest thing ever it was like an old west shootout one of them was on one side of the shell bed one was on the other they were just slinging one way and the other would sling that way they'd be like bringing their baits back and stuff i was covering it for basso and harold allen's like one of them's about to get smoked in the head with some lead (laughs) it was was the coolest thing ever i mean it was just an old-fashioned I don't want you here. You don't want me here. I'm not backing down. You're not backing down. Let's just chuck jigs at each other. Oh, my God. Is yeah, that it was film? Awesome. It was awesome. It I is... got pictures of it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't, I've never heard thing. about yeah. that. Well, I, I mean, it, there was no one else out there. There was no one covering it. it was, there was no live coverage of it. I mean, if it wasn't a photographer, there was no blog. There was nothing. The guys went out, and then when they came back in, they weighed their fish, and that's the only info you had. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, really stupid question, but I've always been curious, and I've never th- thought of who to, who to ask. But back in the day, when they literally put fish on a board, would would it be normal? Like, do they eat them after? Or do they literally just dump them? I was always curious. So that was even before my time. Yeah, like way back in the day. I would assume they'd fillet those suckers. I I would think so, right? But I'm I'm yeah, trying they to. They would have to fillet them. Back in the stringer days. Yeah, they would have to fillet him, dude. You gotta get some. You you should get an old school dude on who fished back in the. I have to in the catch and kill to string him up to <laughs> string the fifteen up. 
<laughs> I'm gonna have That's to. That's a great That's, question. Yeah, I was always curious about that because I remember seeing pictures. Like, yeah, did the winner did just do? have like a fish fry to be like, ah, oh, these are thirty thousand dollar bass we're eating? <laughs> Everybody brings their fish in the way in. Yeah. And everybody cooks them up with each other every day. Like, I don't know. That sounds like a great time. I mean, if they weren't bass, you're killing. Yeah. But, yeah. That's very just... interesting. Because I know, like, some of the deceased fish in different tournaments, they'll, like, donate. They'll, like, fillet and donate. Yeah. But then you also run into issues with, like, live well additives and things like that and how long the fish had died. So mm -hmm. it just kind of varies on state to state on how it goes on what they do with those deceased fish. But Yeah. Well, the you say the additives, and that brings up a, a cool thing I just want to throw out there is um, I've I've started doing these little panels on this podcast. So like I did a I did a smallmouth panel where I had each region a representative, so like the South, Midwest, West, Northeast, uh, sort of thing. I wanted to do one soon with uh, fish care to get people yeah. on talk about you know because I don't think there's a lot of information on there how to take care of your fish because like you get you get guys down south that throw ice in in your your live well with these fish that are in really hot water. And that just shocks the hell out of them, you know. It's, mm -hmm. and I'm not the most knowledgeable by any means. It's just kind of just bringing people in and letting them talk about it. Yeah, just, the the KVD of fish care is Gene Gilliland. He's the uh, head conservation director for Bass. Actually, lives in uh, Norman, Oklahoma. There, but uh, yeah, he knows. He's he's the guru of uh, of of what is good and bad for the for the fish. He was at the Central Open and stuff. You know, they like. Yeah. Like, when we do the Bass Nation stuff, we, like, dip them in this, like, salt bath thing that, like, stuns them, but it, like, supposed to kill the bacteria on the outside, and then there, we do all sorts of different little things that, you know, because Gene, that's what he has. He's, I mean, he's, like, the head, he was the head fisheries biology in Oklahoma for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, and now he does it for bass, so. Didn't you guys have him on? Yeah, yeah, we've had Yeah, he knows, like, everything. Like, I've fished with him before, and I just end up asking him questions for, like, yeah. three hours in the boat i feel bad I he's feel like, like god i just want to go fishing and i'm sitting there like right? so how does oxygen level along the thermocline affect the bait fish and he's like i don't know i just want to fish this shaky head <laughs> <laughs> one question i want to ask him and i'm gonna make this brief because this could go down a whole nother rabbit hole for hours but in that smallmouth panel we brought up the idea you know how there's there's different strains smallmouth or largemouth are there different strains of smallmouth? Because you take like a, a smallmouth out of um, of Pickwick versus a oh, smallmouth out yeah, of Erie, Ontario. Yeah, there's yeah, one hundred percent different strains. But I feel like there's nothing, no information on that. So yeah, I'll there's like a like, native strain in the Neosho River on in Grand, which is why they won't stock smallmouth in Grand. Like the those huh. TVA fishery smallmouths, like uh, Chickamauga, Pickwick, uh, even Gunnersville. Yeah. uh wheeler stuff like that like i think that's a different strain of smallmouth then you have like the northern strain of smallmouth like have you ever seen those smallmouth out of like chickamauga and stuff yeah. yeah yeah they they don't even they look like a spotted bass basically string bean yeah yeah and then like I, we've got a whole different deal in oklahoma here like i mean you catch seven eight pounders out, i mean you don't catch them they exist they have been caught before <laughs> out of eufaula in oklahoma 10 killer uh you know, lakes, uh, Texoma, lakes like that. I think that's a whole different, yeah. different, uh, different strain too. I mean, because they're not like Lake Ontario smallmouth. They don't look anything like Lake Ontario <laughs> smallmouth. Dude, it, the epitome of the northern smallmouth. I caught one out of Cayuga that was in this past spring that was 18 inches long and 17 and a half inches around. Good the Lord. thing was, it wasn't a it wasn't a football. It was just a bowling ball with a tail. 
That's oh, awesome. What? Yeah. They just How get, much it did just, it weigh? It was 496, something Good like that. Lord. A five-pounder. Yeah. Yeah. An 18-inch five-pound yeah. smallmouth? I caught a largemouth out of Cayuga that was 18 and a quarter inches, and it was 506. Wow. Seafish Cayuga a lot. It's it's that's my backyard really. It's forty minutes away. I'm like really in the heart of everything. So like Oneida's an hour east, Cayuga, uh, Champlain's four hours east, and I have Ontario twenty minutes north. Erie's fish on and Daga a lot. I not a lot. I've I have been on it a, a bit, uh, a bit, a little bit, but it's, every time I go up there, I always get a day on Onondaga. I love that place. Yeah, that place can get going pretty quick and pretty yeah. good. I feel like it like takes what like a year or two off your life because of the to- toxicity in the water. You don't there. Want to keep you yeah, you don't. Yeah. Want... <laughs> yeah, I heard a guy he was talking. He's like, "Yeah, I caught a few. Uh, he's keeping perch out of Onondaga." I'm like, "You sure you want to?" There eat are those monster things? perch in Onondaga. Monster perch. Oh yeah. Like I mean, I felt like some 14 to 16 inch perch in Onondaga. Gigantic. But yeah, I was because, like, because no one keeps them because they're toxic. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Literally. I was just like, you know what happens in this lake, right? Yeah, but those it's tiger just, musk, like you take a spinnerbait and massive. start chucking it around that, and it's just like burn it back. Yeah, it's like massive. five a day. Yeah, no, and there's gigantic, gigantic northerns in there, but um, I don't think I'm gonna piss anyone off saying this. I might, but that's fine. But Cuca Lake is a, the biggest sleeper in New York. Really? Cuca, yeah, gigantic. I mean, um. Who was it? Fred and Bonnie did a video on it with swim baits. That's it's just little. It's so deep, but it's so clear in these Is deep it docks. It's so, yeah, it's a finger lake. So it just literally it just comes off and does it like a branch. Huh. So one's like a really shallow grass fishery. The other one's super deep, and but it's really good for a mixed bag. And then huh. early season, you can go throw a blade bait on the drop around the whole lake, and you'll run into smallmouth, and then you'll next cast be a lake trout. It's just, it's an interesting fishery. It's wild. Where did but I go? I, uh, Seneca? That's one of them, right? Seneca's one of them. That's probably the I least Seneca. fish lake. That's probably the least fish lake in New York. Yeah. I ended up catching uh, pike on a spinnerbait all day. I mean, for the southern guys who don't catch pike, like catching a, you know, a, what? How big is that? 30-inch pike? Something like it's that. It's freaking yeah. exciting. <laughs> yeah. Dude, if you want a, a, a serious, like, if you want to go for toothy critters... Like uh, Canisius Lake up here is is the way to really? go. Tiny little lake, but there's some. I mean, it takes probably 21, 22 pounds to win most tournaments throughout the summer. But uh, but there's big tigers and northerns in it. But man, there's so many good lakes. We're spoiled up here, for sure. Heck yeah, but, but you only get it for what five, six months out of the year. <laughs> From like a on a good year, March to October, November. But you guys haven't. You guys can fish for bass whenever, right? Like, you don't have a season? We can fish for bass all year round, except for, I think it's two counties on the river, uh, St. Lawrence. Oh, you can't. They they would have just opened up last weekend. Oh, wow. That tournament last weekend was open. But if you wanted to go to Cayuga, Oneida. All year round. Okay. It's not like, so Minnesota, I think, has like an opener and stuff like that. Like, you can only specifically target. Yeah, they're trying to get rid of that. So what, March, March, April, May, June, July, August? September? September, into October. October. No, you can November too. Oh, we, so you get a get, full year. We don't even get ice. We didn't get ice this year until January. We literally had a month of ice fishing, and that was it. 
you get a full year. I mean, like, see, in Oklahoma, you can fish 12 months out of the year for the most yeah. part. I mean, we'll have an ice storm or, or stuff like that, but we don't, I mean, like, I don't ever put the boat up. Like, yeah. I'll be crappie fishing in December or January, February, and, you know, 42, 43 degree water. We probably got two, two and a half months where we're, we can't really fish. But it's a fair trade for as good as as good as it is up there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the only month that really sucks is August. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, you're winter in tolls. The tolls are even worse than Oklahoma, and I didn't think they could get worse than Oklahoma. Yeah, that it does suck. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of it that kind of sucks, but I mean, it's it's got its pros and cons. It, Heck yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. But, uh, well, dude, we've been talking for over an hour now. I feel like I can go on for hours. But uh, I got two questions that I like to wrap up each podcast with. All but, right. Uh, before I do that, uh, one, where can people find you, uh, follow along with you on social media? And then, two, I know you guys did a, a, a super incredible episode with, about Spro Frogs with Dean Rojas. Are you going to get Brett Height on to talk about the new Chatterbait? Yeah, we can get Brett Hyde on to talk. We're talking about the one with like the clear lip and yeah, stuff. Yeah, the finesse chatterbait. Yeah, we can get we can get Brett Hyde on. I guess that'd be we'll interesting. To, yeah, I that totally that, that yeah. would. Um, yeah, his whole system is interesting. When you take the rod within the dew strike line and the bait and stuff, it's like next level stuff with him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that'd be a good guest That's on BTL. Cool. Um, but yeah, follow us, uh, BTL, uh, no Instagram page, because um, if we had one, I would have to run in, and I'm already busy enough. <laughs> so uh, just the Facebook page, Bass Talk Live, and then uh, you can follow me uh, on Instagram. I don't think I've posted in Facebook in like six months. That's just where I like make sure I don't miss relatives' birthdays. <laughs> it's Facebook. <now>. Genius. <laughs> uh, Instagram is just at Matt Pangrak, M-A-T-T-P-A-N-G-R-A-C, so uh also on the btl youtube page um i have a, a panger 2020 series where uh i do all the uh recaps and uh youtube uh gopro videos from all the tournaments this year and stuff so yeah that kept me occupied when we were in our phase of ice yeah. coming into you know ice was melting we couldn't really do much that kept me busy so yeah, yeah. all right deal. man i'll be linked down below so people go down and follow but uh I got two questions I like to ask everybody before we sign off. And uh, the first question for you is if you're going to have dinner, invite three people to join you to sit there, sit down, have dinner, pick their brain. Who would you invite and why? They, could, they don't have to be fishing industry and they could be past or present, don't have to be alive. Any three people, who would you want to pick their brain? I'm going to stick fishing industry okay. <laughs> just to keep it easy. Okay. Uh, definitely Ray Scott won. Because I want to ask him about the the early years um, okay. of 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 bass like that. Uh, number ask them if they eat bass or they just don't. Yeah, I ask him what happened to those bass <laughs> before the before the catch and release and stuff. Uh, so I'm gonna go. Uh, Ray Scott one, two. I'm gonna go the late Irwin Jacobs because. Okay. Uh, he did a lot of uh, innovative things in the industry and on the uh, business and non-endemic side. Uh, and FLW in their early years was never afraid to really go outside the box with some of the stuff that they did. And I mean, you look at at uh, at that empire that they built over there. Um, it, it, I'd be impressed with that. So I'm going to go Ray Scott. I'm going to go uh, 
Erwin Jacobs, and then I'm going to go with the only Bass Nation angler who has ever won the Bassmaster Classic, which would be Fry Cook, Brian Kirchel. Uh, just inducted into the, or will be inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame, uh, Bass Fishing Hall of Fame, very deservedly so, but the guy qualified through the Bass Nation, uh, which was the Federation Nation twice, uh, finished dead last the first time, won it the next time, obviously, and then, you know, died in a plane crash six months after he won. Yeah. Uh, it was the 94 Classic. Uh, but, man, that dude, I, I, I would love to sit down and talk to him. I mean, he's a true amateur who won the Bassmaster Classic, and to see someone who who, you know, you're in his shoes, I'm in his shoes, everyone who subscribes to that magazine right there is in his shoes and he's the only sucker who's got it done and he's done it so i'd like to sit down and talk to him about what it felt like to uh to be the bassmaster classic champion and and uh uh in the six you know short months before the plane crash that he had to uh to kind of revel in that to go from fry cook to bassmaster classic champ so those are the three i like it kind of two icons and brian kirchell (laughs) <laughs> I love what about it. you? Has anyone ever asked what you what your three are? A few times, yeah. What are your three? Uh, industry. Go no, in the industry. Not industry. Outside. industry. Okay. okay. Right. In the industry. Um number one would be Mark Zona. Because not only because you pick his brain knowledge wise when he gets serious, but also he's a good time. Um <laughs> Mark Zona would be one and then um Oh, I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, my gosh, because I've spoken to him before. Ronnie Moore had linked me to him because I had a bunch of questions. Uh, he's the event coordinator for Bass. Dave Brett or no. Eric Lopez? Yes, Eric Lopez. Yeah. He's one of your three in the industry? I would love to speak to him how, what it's like. and Because we talked a little bit about it, but like right. I would love to just, I guess, follow him around for an event. He's the man. He, he yeah, works, works his stuff. butt off. High-stress yeah. job. He's done like the Olympics and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I, I said hello to him because that's all the time he had at the classic, and that that was it. But I would love to like see kind of how the orchestration happens and really dive into details of how it all works. And all right, so Mark Zona, Elo. Yeah, and then who's uh, the third? Oh man, you know what? And we, we spoke about him offline, but I gotta go with my my guy Fred Kentawi just because he's got so many stories. I love to have Fred in there. Mark Zona, Elo, and Fred Katawi. There you go. Yeah. That's a one of a kind three. Fred, <laughs> Fred's a good one to have dinner with. Yeah, 100%. Also, he's got expensive taste, and uh, he's not afraid to pick up the tab. So <laughs> I still have $100 for anybody who can email me and tell me what exactly Fred Katawi does. <laughs> <laughs> the dude does He's like the man that's like on the the cover of the Dos Equis commercial. A hundred percent. What are you doing? Oh, I'm out here. I'm getting paid to sturgeon fish. You're like, what? He's like, yeah, they tag everyone I catch and they pay me. Then you call him a month later. How's the sturgeon fishing? I don't know. I'm looking for rare flowers in the desert. <laughs> then you call him the next time. It's like, hey, you've reached the voicemail of Fred Cantali. I'm in East Asia for the next three months. <laughs> You just never know where where he's going to be. And then you'll be like, hey, have you seen, like, have you seen this, like, rod or lure or something? And he'd be like, yeah, I designed that. You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. 
It was literally. Not- so I'm going. I like called him because I knew he'd been up to uh, Alaska. They'll get, tell one freaking Tally story, and then we'll get you. I'm sure you're derailed on your time for the podcast here. Oh no, I, I just. But, uh, so I went up. So I I played hockey at OU with a dude named Owen. He became like one of my best friends, and he uh, his family uh, ran Alaska West Air. So I go up to Alaska every other year and we do like just crazy Alaska trips. Um, so I called Fred and I was like, Hey man, I'm doing this like knack neck river, which is like the Falcon Lake of trout fishing went up there in October. It's at the base of the Aleutian Island chains. You take like uh, a helicopter to a beaver and then you have to land in Lake Clark and get gas. And then like you go down the side of like Lake Iliamna, which is like in river monsters, Jeremy raids river. Yeah. I'm like looking out the window. I'm like, that's Lake Iliamna. And then you land in this deal and it's like in the town of King Salmon. And when we were there, there were 17 people in the town. We traded two fifths of Jack for two boats with motors from a dude named Fundine. You can't make this stuff up. Oh my God, what? So anyway, that's how remote this is. I say that just that's how remote this is. It's like literally at the base of the Bering Sea where deadliest catch is. Yeah. In October, no one's there. So I tell Fred where I'm going and he's like, oh yeah, I like guided out there. And he's like telling me sandbars and like runs that I need to be fishing on the Knack River in a town with a population 17. And then he goes, Oh, did you stop at Lake Clark to get gas where that like weirdo lives with the giant cross on the hill? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I guided for him for three years. I mean, there's literally like three human beings in a 150 square mile radius. And this guy is telling me exact runs and the only place to get gas in a 500 mile radius in southeast Alaska. It's freaking nuts. So... (laughs) Then he's telling me about like back trolling and stuff. So like he he sends me this book. It's called like Boondoggling for Steelhead or whatever it is because I kind of got into Steelhead. So I yeah. like take this thing and I'm gonna impress my buddy. I'm gonna be like, look, I got, I know a buddy who wrote a book about steelhead fishing, right? So I get down there and I pull the book out and he's like, yeah, we all have that copy, dude. And he like pulls his copy out and his other buddy's like, yeah, I got that copy. And I was like. Where'd you guys get that? And they're like, this is like the Bible for steelhead fishing down here. And I was like, seriously? And I was like, well, I know the guy who wrote it. And they're like, no, you don't. And I was like, yeah, it's Fred, man. (laughs) They're like, you know this guy? I'm like, yeah, I know this guy. Like all the people in Alaska know, have his book. Oh my God. (laughs) Dude's a living legend. (laughs) Yeah. And he can play it. I mean, have you, have you hit the slots with him yet? I have not. Because I my wallet would not be able to afford that. Yeah, because <laughs> I know he talked me into it. <laughs> big fan of the buffaloes. That's all I'll say. We'll close up the Fred Katawi talk with the uh, <laughs> with the big fan of the buffaloes. <laughs> Listening to him and David Dudley talk for two hours blew my mind. That's it. Yeah, you should have that on the freaking show. Yeah. Right. But all right, man. So last question, real quick, for you before we sign off, is just. Super simple. Favorite fishing memory? Uh, favorite fishing memory would be... Oh, that's cool. So that smallmouth right there? Yeah. That was the first four-pound smallmouth that I ever caught, and it was in Canada out of a 16-foot Lund in Lily Bay. 
with my dad at the uh, tiller, and I cast a Rapala G11, and he had said the first small mount that I catch over four pounds, we would mount. I was using his uh, Mitchell 5.6 spinning rod with an old Abu Garcia spinning reel, and that sucker right there came up and uh, ate the Rapala right off the top, got wrapped around a log. I can picture it. Just like it was yesterday, I said, I think I was 11 or 12 years old and I got that sucker in and then we kept it at the end of the stringer for the next 14 hours while we, oh while we fished around and I came back and that's the actual replica of it. It was, you know, right at four pounds, four pounds smallmouth, but it means a lot to me. Yeah. So that's probably that's awesome. my favorite fishing memory right there. Yeah. That's sweet. You're reminded of it each time you go in the room. It's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was the rod like that was the Mitchell five oh five or something like that? Dude, it was like from it was literally from like the sixties. Hmm. I'm surprised yeah. you didn't say you had like a Fluger president or something on there that like everybody else and their mother seems to own. <laughs> no, it was like before that. It's, these are like from the sixties or seventies. Like it was my dad. So my dad would get one new combo when we went to Canada every year, and he would always get like a push button and a five six rod. Hmm but we had the two spinning rods that he had had from when he went uh, to the boundary waters back, like when he was in his twenties. So I would still use those. Oh, yeah, that's awesome, so dude. That's probably my best memory. Uh, real quick. How much does that large you weigh? Uh, that is a nine twenty two. I think it's a nine twenty two largey. So I was, do you got time for this story? Yeah, I got so I was freaking 18 years old. It went nine twenty two. I'm fishing out of the back of the boat. No, I was 17 years old. I'm fishing out of the back of the boat because I wasn't 18 since I hadn't left yet to play hockey. And mm -hmm. I'm fishing with uh, uh, Assumption Bass Club okay. out of the back of the boat, Bandit 200, Lake Taylorville, Central Illinois. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I caught a freaking nine-pounder out of the back <laughs> of the boat. Oh, my God. And then promptly... <laughs> during the celebration shattered the guy's windshield how from like an out of production rager because i was like yes and i like my rod the butt of my rod while i was celebrating like i like leaned up against the windshield with the rod and then it like cracked and broke oh so i caught a nine pounder behind him and i broke his windshield oh my god <laughs> that's insane yep <laughs> But anyway, so that's a fiberglass. So I let that one go. But that's the biggest bass I've caught in a tournament. Awesome. Uh, so I got that one. Got Have that you broke one. 10? Have you broke 10 yet? Yeah, I've got three 10-pounders in Oklahoma. Uh, never in a tournament. I weighed in. Last year, I weighed in two over eight in a tournament. But uh, I've <laughs> caught three 10s in Oklahoma that I put on the scales. Sheesh. One 11-4 is the biggest out of Arbuckle. Which, oh. if you know where Arbuckle is, <laughs> not that impressive. Dang. I didn't know Oklahoma had that caliber. Yeah, I mean, it's there's several lakes. You know, there's a lot of they've done some Florida strain stocking, and then there's a couple mm -hmm. couple big fish lakes down there, like Arbuckle. You'll see you'll see like a 40, 45 pound limit every now and then come out of there um, during the spawn. Um, mm. Two of them have been spawn fish. One of them was on a spinner bait on Thanksgiving Day. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'll give you something to be thankful for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome well dude i gotta say thank you for taking i mean an hour and 20 minutes of of your time and to come on here and talk stories and i learned i uh, couldn't even tell you how much in this podcast just even history of fishing i love it so uh, thank you for that I, I really appreciate you taking the time 
Cool, man. I enjoyed it. Hopefully I didn't ramble too much. No, no, dude. You have all the time in the world. You're more than welcome to come on. If you ever need need some time to ramble, you're more than welcome. Yeah. I appreciate appreciate you coming on, dude. For sure. Thanks, man. All right. I'm looking forward to the next BTL, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast with Matt. That was an absolute blast. I got to learn so much about the history of fishing. There's so much that goes on and has gone on in our industry, in this fishing industry, uh, years and years ago that we don't even know about. And as Matt mentioned, you know, there's there's no good way of even looking it up. There's there's not a lot of context there for you to go and look up and know what the heck even gone on, like went on. You know, it's not like the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, NFL. MLS, whatever, you know, these big time sports where you can, you have the history of that sport palm of your hand. You know, you can access it very easily. Fishing's not like that. So it's, it's always awesome to kind of hear these different stories. Um, and Matt is definitely a great resource because he's been around a lot. He's been around a lot of people, been around different situations, and he's heard these stories and he's able to pass on that knowledge. Um, so that, that was pretty awesome to talk to him for a while. And I, I truly enjoy and appreciate him coming on the show. Hope you guys can say the same. Head uh, head down below and follow him. If you guys have not listened to the Bass Talk Live podcast, you are definitely missing out. If you listen to my podcast, you would love, love, love the Bass Talk Live podcast. So head over there and uh, give them some love, show them some support, and you guys will definitely truly enjoy Bass Talk Live podcast. Um, so thank you guys for watching and listening. Uh, if you're not already, subscribe to the Lightbird Outdoors YouTube channel. Uh, head over to our Instagram page to enter the giveaway. Um, you guys can find our podcast on any app, uh, podcast application out there. So thank you guys for watching and listening. We'll see you guys next time. Hey, guys. I just want to say thank you for listening to my podcast in its entirety. With that being said, if you'd like to support the Serious Angler Podcast, please head to my page and click support. Any amount really helps me be able to create content for you guys and also helps me you know, pay the bills which gives me more time to make podcasts for you guys. Thank you guys again for listening to the Serious Angler podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.